If you would, please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat in front of you, somewhere close to you. And it is page 953 in that red Bible. This is now our fifth week in 1 Corinthians. And I don't know about you, but I have really appreciated what God has taught so far. Um, Paul is writing to a really messy, immature, and dysfunctional church that is very divided in Corinth. And I love how Paul opens the letter just genuinely talking about his love and gratitude for the church in Corinth, not because of what they have done, because they've messed a lot of things up, but because of what God has done for them, that God has made them saints, that he has sanctified them, that he has brought them together as the church of God in Corinth. Paul goes on to address one of the major concerns, which is division in the church, that they are following certain preachers and theologians instead of being centered on the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then Paul continues by, by talking about the, the difference between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world. And he's continuing with that thought process today of, of what is the difference between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world. So we're going to read together 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 through 16. This is God's word. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, when we come to your word this morning, we pray that you would humble us. That you would give us open minds to understand your truths. There are a lot of voices in the world around us trying to tell us what is true. But we need your truth 
in your wisdom to rise above them all in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives. And so we pray that you would do that even this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a kid, I grew up in St. Louis, and I remember one day me and my friend rode our bikes to my elementary school, which was about a mile a day. And we went there to go play on the playground and see if there were any other kids there. When we got there, the 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 pond that was there was partially frozen over, which is not super common when you live in St. Louis, but it was partially frozen over with the, with the middle of it being open water. And, and seeing that ice was something kind of new, kind of different for me, I thought, you know what, I want to see how strong this ice is. And so in the wisdom of a 12-year-old or however old I was, I thought, you know what, I'm going to walk out on the ice and go until it starts to crack, and then I'm going to hurry back, all right? Well, I walked out, and it cracked, and I fell through. And uh, I did get out. Obviously, I'm here today. Uh, I climbed out and made it back, and I rode home, and I was all wet, and I snuck upstairs. And, just, and my mom still knew somehow. I think one of, my kids, one of my friends ratted on me. But that was the wisdom of a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old, however old I was. There was another time when I was a kid where um, there was some woods behind my house, and my friend and I, we put together kind of this this, uh, this teepee full of dry sticks and dry brush that we could go inside and kind of hang out and have fun. And we thought, you know what would be really cool? It would be really cool if we could start like a little campfire in here and cook some hot dogs and, you know, have a nice little fire, which seemed really wise to us as, as 10 or 12-year-olds. But again, my mom found out and she ruined our fun. Um, I was dangerously overconfident in my wisdom as a child, I was pretty sure that my parents did not know hardly anything. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm pretty sure I knew just about everything. Um, I was dangerously overconfident in my wisdom. And to be honest with you, I think the same is true today. I, I'm certainly wiser than I was when I was 10 years old. I may be wiser than some people, not wiser than other people. But as we look today at the wisdom of God, the wisdom I have pales in comparison. During membership class, we'll ask the question, you know, if you could, ask, if you could, if you could put a percentage on what part of what God knows do you know, what percentage would you put? And people are like, huh, oh, 0. .00001, right? Which might be a bit ambitious even to say that. And so God's wisdom is so much greater than our wisdom. And so we have to be very careful not to be dangerously overconfident in our own wisdom. You know, we were created, actually, to seek wisdom, to love wisdom, to enjoy wisdom. When Adam and Eve were created in the garden, they were not created knowing all things. God created them knowing just enough, and then God came to them, and he spoke wisdom to them. He gave them instruction on how they were to live their lives and, and how they found value and where they, where they found joy and things of that sort. And so God would give to them and speak to them wisdom. But much like many of us, they were not content with God's wisdom alone. God in his infinite wisdom tells Adam and Eve, do not eat of the forbidden fruit. And yet Adam and Eve thought they knew better. Genesis 3.6 says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and then listen to this, and that the tree was to be desired to make one 
wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Adam and Eve were dangerously overconfident in their wisdom. They figured that God did not know what he was talking about, saying don't eat of this forbidden fruit, and they knew better. They knew what would make them happy. They knew what would make them feel fulfilled. And so they rebelled against God and pursued worldly wisdom. You know, I think all of us, if we're honest, are a little dangerously overconfident in our own wisdom. And the reason why I can say this is because, well, let me just ask this. Have you, in this past week, sinned? (laughs) Have you done something that you know God commands you not to do or not done something that you know God commands you to do? The reason why we do this is because we think we are wiser than God. God's commands are wise. They are wisdom. And when we say, no, thank you, God, I'm going to go my own direction, we're actually, in a way, saying, I know better than God does. We are desperate for reprogramming, to be reprogrammed with real and everlasting and divine wisdom, because it is how God created us to live, and it is our joy. And so today, we're studying the glory of the wisdom of God, And I'm going to ask the questions, why must we not trust in the world's wisdom? How can we get divine wisdom? And why should we want God's wisdom? Why should we pursue it with all of our hearts? First, why must we not trust in the world's wisdom? And the reason is because God's wisdom, which is ultimate wisdom, is considered folly to the world. Our wisdom makes us actually look at God's wisdom and not only be indifferent towards it, but think that it's folly, that it's foolish, that it's barbaric, outdated. But it is the wisdom of God. Verse 6 says, Yet among the mature, which we'll discuss what that term means later, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Now, This passage is not saying that there is no wisdom in non-Christians at all. God's common grace does give wisdom, although much of it is corrupt, but does give some wisdom to just the general mankind. But in terms of spiritual things, which is what Paul is focusing on here, in terms of what makes us right with God, in terms of how we are called to live for God and enjoy God, Both the wisdom of the rulers and the rulers themselves, Paul says, are doomed to pass away. They are temporary. This may sound arrogant, but Paul is claiming to have the corner on wisdom. That Christianity has the exclusive truth. That every other religion is foolish. And the reason why Paul can say this is because all other religions have one thing in common that Christianity does not have. See, all other religions will say, the way that we get right with God is by what we do, right? That's how we get right with God. It's it's we gotta have so much faith and we gotta do so many good things and once we do all this stuff, that's how we can get right with God. That's what every religion says except Christianity. Christianity says, The way we get right with God is not by what we do, it's by what God has done for us in Christ and receiving it as a free gift of his grace. Christianity 
is far different than every other religion. It is a religion that only God could think of. A religion where God can look into the hearts of men and say, there is so much sin, there is so much depravity, there is no way you can work your way back to God. I am going to have to rescue you and to save you and to draw you to myself. This is foolishness to the world. Verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understood this, that is the things related to redemption. It says, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So the cross of Christ stands as a prominent declaration between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of man. The wisdom of man, which says we must earn God's acceptance, is opposed by the cross. And the cross looks like absolute foolishness to the wisdom of man. In that regard, I mean, but also in the day, according to the wisdom of men, a Savior, a Messiah who would come, would come as royalty, would come triumphant. They would, they would defeat the military. They would defeat the Romans and, and triumph. And yet this Messiah, this Christ, came in a way that seemed foolish to the world. He came humble, and he was crucified for our salvation. Verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges or examines all things, but is himself to be judged or examined or discerned. It's the same word as up in verse 14, by no one, meaning by people who don't have the Spirit. What Paul is saying here is that we must, not, we must not let the wisdom of the world critique the wisdom of God. Rather, the wisdom of God must critique the wisdom of the world. Scholars should not stand in judgment of the Bible, but the Bible should stand in judgment of scholars. The church as a whole has seemed to, 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 to move away from this in many, many spheres where they're trying to adjust what the Bible says in order to fit the wisdom of the world around us. They're trying to make the Bible more palatable. And so instead of trying to conform the culture to be consistent with the Bible, they're trying to make the Bible conform to be consistent with the culture. If you need examples of this, you can just consider all of the conversations going on right now about gender roles and gender identity, promiscuity, fornication, and generosity, and tithing, and Sabbath to the world. These things are absolutely foolish. They're ridiculous. And so people are working hard to make the Bible not say what it clearly says in order to accommodate the ever-shifting values and opinions of the wisdom of our culture. And it is always shifting. I mean, if you would just look back 50 years ago, people thought sugar was absolutely harmless, that smoking was really good for your throat, that seatbelts were pretty unnecessary, and the best one, they thought asbestos would be a great building material, right? That's what the wisdom of man believed. I was listening to a, a sermon by Paul Tripp on this passage, and he said, you know, if you went to a bookstore, to a self-help section, and you checked something out of there, and you read everything it said on how to help yourself, 
If you took that book and went back 10 years later to that same section, you could probably check out a book that would then refute everything you just read in that book that you bought 10 years ago. The reason is because the wisdom of the world is always shifting because it's blind guides looking for wisdom and never finding it. And yet we are so susceptible to listening to the wisdom of the world tell us how we should live, what we should believe, and where we can find joy. Verse 16, Paul continues, says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? The answer is nobody. (laughs) Nobody has instructed the Lord. All of you have been instructed. Every human to ever live has been instructed. They've been taught by their parents, by, by other people, how you should live, what you should do. God never had a teacher. God didn't need a teacher. God knows everything. I mean, everything. That that is mind-boggling. Every blade of grass underneath the snow, God knows how long it is. God knows how hot the stars are burning at the uttermost ends of the universe. God knows everything. He also knows everything about you. He knows all of your sin. He knows all of your good characters. God knows everything. And he still loves us. How do we apply this? If the world thinks the wisdom of God is foolishness, how do we apply this? We cannot expect the world around us to understand our values. We can't expect the world around us to understand our concerns, our delights, our priorities. We can't expect the world around us to to understand why we would say that marriage is between one man and one woman till death do they part. That just seems absurd. If you're not happy, get a divorce. We can't expect the world around us to understand why we would give cheerfully to send forth the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ through missionaries. We can't expect the world to understand why church is a higher priority than our kids being at a basketball tournament or sleeping in every Sunday. They they won't understand why are these so important for us. We can't expect the world to understand and appreciate how good the good news of the gospel is unless they receive the wisdom of God. And that takes us to the second point. How can we get God's wisdom? If God's wisdom is the best wisdom, the happiest wisdom, the most wonderful wisdom, how do we get that wisdom? And it's only by the illumination of the Holy Spirit. I use that word illumination because this is actually a theological term that theologians use, the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Verse nine says, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love them. Now, when I used to read this verse, I thought that it talked exclusively about heaven, that we cannot imagine or comprehend or fathom how wonderful heaven will be, which is completely true, and it is included in this. But when you take the context of the passage, Paul is talking more explicitly about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the cross of Christ. No human has ever seen something so wonderful, so divine as the cross of Christ. No human ear has ever heard a message more wonderful than the, than the message that God loved us and sent his son to die for us. No heart has imagined something so wonderful, so brilliant as the good news of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
All other stories pale in comparison to the beauty of the gospel. Verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Now Paul moves on to a a natural illustration to help us understand why we would need the Holy Spirit to teach us the wisdom of God. He says, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So what Paul is saying here, more or less, who knows what you thought about 10 seconds ago? You do, right? God does, but, but you do. The person sitting next to you doesn't know. If I want to know what my son is thinking about, I don't ask my daughter because he knows what he's thinking about. She knows what she's thinking about. You know what you're thinking about. And he's using this as an illustration. Say, how do we know what God is thinking about? How do we know the wisdom of God, the truth of God? Well, it's only if we can get the spirit of God to tell us. And that's what he says, continuing. He says, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. I love Isaiah 55 that says, the Lord speaking, he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are high, higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so how can we get the wisdom of God if it is so much otherly, so much more brilliant, so much more wonderful than our wisdom. How do we get God's wisdom? Verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. You see, all of us at one point, we're main point one, All of us at one point thought the things of God, the wisdom of God was foolishness. It wasn't where happiness would be found. And so we pursued our own ways. And God's solution to our ignorance and our indifference and our hostility to the wisdom of God was not to give us a theology class. God's solution to our our ignorance and to our hostility to his wisdom was not to give us bigger brains or to write it down, which he did do that as well. God's solution to sharing with us the wisdom of God is to give us the spirit of God. It's as if the Holy Spirit unzipped our dead souls and jumped inside of us and zipped it back up to give us life and to speak to us the wisdom of the glory of God. This is what, like I said, is called the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Imagine if you found a room in your house that you've never seen before, a secret passage, whatever it might be, and you get in that room and you don't know what's in there and it is completely dark. You have no idea. And so you pull out your cell phone and turn on the flashlight and you cast it around and you can't believe what you're seeing. You're seeing riches and treasures beyond your imagination. They were already there in the house But now they have been illumined for you to appreciate them and to receive them. In the same way, a Christian can read, or excuse me, a non-Christian can read the Bible and all the treasures are there. 
But the Holy Spirit illumines us to be able to see the treasure that's within, to receive it, to appreciate it, to enjoy it. I know before I was a Christian, I had a Bible, I read it. It read like a dictionary to me. But then when the Holy Spirit indwells us, it makes the scriptures, as King David said, sweeter than honey and more precious than gold. So many Christians are seeking after a miracle these days. But did you know that every time you read the Bible and it changes you and it transforms you and it woos you, that is a miracle of God through the Holy Spirit sharing with you the wisdom of God that we so desperately need. The Holy Spirit illumines the scriptures to us. Last year, I went to our denomination's general assembly down south. And in the assembly, it's this massive room, I, bigger than a football field. That's how big this, this is. It's at a convention center, and there's thousands of people in there. And up front, they have these big screens, two big screens like this, but much bigger than that. And they'll write up there what the motion is that we're voting on and the, the clock timers and things like that so we know how much long we can speak. And then along the bottom, they'll put up announcements throughout the General Assembly. And one time there was an announcement that was put up and it said, a pair of glasses have been turned in. If you have lost a pair, please come up front to the piano to claim them, okay? And so, great, helpful. Up there for like two minutes and then it was gone. Well, a couple hours went by and they put the announcement up again. A pair of glasses has been turned in. If you've lost a pair, please come up front to the piano to claim them. A couple hours went by, and people go in and out of the assembly, so, you know, maybe someone's not there. Again, a pair of glasses have been turned in. If you have lost a pair, please up, come, come up front to the piano to claim them. This is happening all throughout the day, every, about every hour. Finally, near the end of the day, there was a note that read this. A pair of glasses has been turned in. If you've lost a pair, please come up front to the piano to claim them. And then it says this. Please note, the person who lost their glasses may not be able to see this announcement. If you notice someone missing their glasses, please tell them to come up and pick them up at the piano. John Calvin is nicknamed the theologian of the Holy Spirit. And he said that the Holy Spirit are like glasses. They're like spectacles. They allow us to see things more clearly as we read God's word. It makes it from being two-dimensional to three-dimensional, to being dead and cold, to being alive and active, transforming our hearts and our souls. The Holy Spirit is like glasses that makes us enjoy the Word of God and drink in the Word of God. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there are times where I read it and I put it down like, what did I just read? That happens. But when you read the Word of God and it nourishes your soul, that is a work of the Holy Spirit. It is a miracle of God at work every day in our lives. And so how, does, how do we apply this? Well, first off, this should make us humble people. You see, if we look around us and we say, I can't believe he did that, or I can't believe she said that, or I can't believe they believed that, or thought that, or, or whatever it might be, we should remember that the reason why we know God's wisdom is not because we were smarter than other people, it's not because we were more humble than other people. It's not because we were more lovely than other people. The reason why we know what the wisdom of God says in God's word is because we have been invaded by the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God. And so it should make us a humble people, loving God's truth, but also being humble towards those 
who disagree with it. The second thing is that we must remember that when we read the word of God, when we sit there and open it up and it touches and transforms our heart, this is a miraculous work of God and the spirit of those who apart from him would be cold and dead and rebellious. And so why must we not trust in the wisdom of the world? It's because the wisdom of the world says the wisdom of God is folly. How can we get God's wisdom? Only by the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, illuminating the wisdom of God and the scriptures for us. And finally, why should we seek wisdom? Why should we seek hidden wisdom? God's wisdom, which is wonderful to the mature. Look at verse six. He says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. In chapter three, Paul talks about addressing them as infants in Christ. And so we know that there's immature. So what makes a Christian mature? What makes a mature Christian? Well, it's simply those who are open to hearing and receiving the wisdom of God over and over and over again. Those who come to God's word and says, Lord, search me and know me and see whatever way is not right in me and change me for your glory. Someone who comes humbly to drink from the scriptures day after day after day. Verse six again, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decrees before the ages, that is before the beginning of time, for our glory. What is this secret wisdom of God? Why, why, why does God have this secret wisdom? Why does he have a hidden wisdom? Is it because he's trying to keep it from us? No, the secret wisdom of God is an open secret. The hidden wisdom of God is is revealed in his scriptures. It's written clearly in the Bible. The reason why it is a secret, the reason why it is hidden and mysterious is not because God has not revealed it to us, but because we have been blinded by our own sin. This secret, this mysterious, this glorious wisdom is that God became wisdom for us. We just read this in last chapter in 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, Jesus Christ, who became to us wisdom from God. God became the word. The word became flesh. God became wisdom in Jesus Christ. And that man, wisdom, took on the foolishness of Adam and Eve and all who trust in him for salvation, took on our foolishness and the penalty and destruction of that foolishness and paid for it in full upon the cross. And then rose on the third day to give us newness of life. But that's not it. He ascended into heaven so that he could send us a helper. The Holy Spirit that could unzip us, indwell us, and fill us with the knowledge and wisdom of the glory of God. And why did God do this? I don't know if you caught it there at the end of verse 7. But it says, which God decreed before the ages for our glory doesn't say for God's glory, although that is true as well. But it says wisdom for your glory, for my glory. Romans 8 tells us that we are children, heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. 
He says, for I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Revelations chapter 21, talking about the new heavens and the new earth, says, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. For those who trust in the wisdom of God, the gospel of God, the way that this ends is that we are in the midst of the glory of God for all eternity. The wisdom of the world leads to destruction, but the wisdom of God leads to glory forever and for always. Verse 9, Paul says again, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Yes, that's talking about heaven, but also the glory of the gospel today, right now. We should marvel at the beauty of it. Verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand. Listen, this is one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. One of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is that you can understand all the riches that you have in Christ. And so when you become a Christian, you get all of the riches. You get the whole package. You get everything. But then we spend our entire life unpacking those riches and understanding them. And the Holy Spirit is the one that allows us to do this. I was trying to think of an illustration of this, um, you know, starting this new podcast, getting the gospel out. I had to learn how to do some audio engineering. And, and on Macs, they have that thing called GarageBand. Um, I don't have a Mac. I'm a PC guy. We can debate that later. But anyways, so I, I, uh, I downloaded this free, this free software called Audacity. And it's amazing. It's really, really well. Professionals use it. It's great. I don't know how they earn money because they give it away for free. They have to eat the cost. Some, I don't know how they do it. But anyways, so I downloaded this and you open it up and it's simple, but it's also extremely sophisticated. There's a lot of drop down menus on how you can make the audio sound better. And all of these are yours when you receive it free and download it onto your computer. But I don't know how to use most of these things. I don't understand a lot of them. And so what I do is I go to YouTube and I type in, you know, audacity, help, training, things like that. And then there are these people who will teach you how to use this program and to make the most use out of it, okay? In some ways, the Holy Spirit is like YouTube, okay? The Holy Spirit is like YouTube in that it teaches us about the things that we already have in Jesus, right? Have you ever gone to YouTube to fix something in your house? Probably turned up as a disaster, but, but that thing in your house is already yours and you're going in there to learn, to teach you about it. The Holy Spirit teaches us about all the wonderful things that we already have in Christ. Then down to verse 16. He says, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? The answer is no one. But we have the mind of Christ. Notice here, this is important. Paul is not instructing you to put on the mind of Christ. He's not instructing you or exhorting you to do that. Rather, he is making a declaration that you have the mind of Christ. That is one of the riches that God gives to us is the mind of Christ. Adoption is another one. There are many more. But you have been given the mind of Christ. You know, it's so wonderful to see when someone comes to faith in Christ, how they're thinking about the entire world changes. 
You know, they used to see people as commodities simply to benefit them and for their enjoyment. And now they see people as, as those made in the image of God that are of infinite worth and value, who they want to love and share the good news of Jesus with. Everything changes. Their view of the scriptures change. Instead of, instead of hating the Bible and seeing it as some boring, old, dusty book, it comes alive to them. And they have joy in it. They, they get a new perspective on marriage and, and learning how to lay down their life to serve their spouse instead of trying to do whatever they can to get out of their spouse to make them happy. We have been given the mind of Christ so that we can understand the beauty of the gospel and cherish the wonders of all that we have in Jesus. Let me end with this. There's an article online um, by Reuters. Is that how you pronounce it? Reuters? 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 Reuters Health. And uh, the title of the article says this. Depression, anxiety, rising among U.S. college students. I'll read you just a few snippets of it. It says, severe depression and rates of self-injury among U.S. college students more than doubled over less than a decade. Looking at data from two large annual surveys of college undergraduates covering the year 2007 to 2018, researchers found a broad worsening of mental health indicators, including depression, overall anxiety, low flourishing, and suicidal planning and attempts. More than 610,000 undergraduates participated in one survey between the fall semester of 2011 and spring semester of 2018. Reports of suicide attempts increased from 0.7% in 2013 to 1.8% in 2018. That's more than double in 10 years. While the proportion of students reporting severe depression rose from 9.4% to 21.1%, again, doubling in about a decade. The rate of moderate or severe depression rose from 23% to 41%. In 2018, that's just over five years. While rates of moderate or severe anxiety rose from 18% to 34%. Again, over the course of five years. You know, our world thinks it's the wisest it has ever been. And yet, this is the fruit of the wisdom of our world. That people are growing in anxiousness and depression and suicidal thoughts. And I'm not saying Christians don't struggle with these things. Christians do struggle with these things. But the sheer, the sheer growth in this over the past decade is alarming. And I think it's no coincidence that it is, that it is at the same time period that millennials are leaving the church in groves. I think there is a connection there that is obvious if the wisdom of God is true. And so now educators and healthcare professionals are scrambling for ways to fix all the problems according to the wisdom of this world. And I appreciate what they're trying to do. But in reality, they're trying to put out a forest fire with a garden hose. Paul Tripp on this sermon, on this passage said this, and it's just, it's such a profound statement. I've, this is what he says. He says, the wisdom of the world is a system of redemption. That's true. The wisdom of the world is a system of redemption. They're trying to redeem the broken things in this world, depression, anxiety, everything else. The wisdom of the world is a system of redemption. But then he goes on and says, without a redeemer. 
The wisdom of the world is a system of redemption without a redeemer. Seeking redemption without a redeemer is like trying to drive a car without wheels. It doesn't work. But God, in his infinite wisdom, has given us a redeemer to redeem all the broken things in our world. This is the wisdom of God compared to the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of God not only teaches us how redemption happens, but gives us a redeemer to accomplish it. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful that you did not withhold your wisdom from us, but that in your wisdom, you sent a redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins and to heal the brokenness in our lives. Lord, I shudder to think what my life would be like without the Redeemer's work in my life and in my family's life, Lord. You are so good, you are so generous, you are so gracious and faithful and wise. And we give thanks to you for that today. Lord, as we turn to your table, we are reminded of what is the wisdom of God, which is foolish to the world, that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. And yet let us receive the wisdom of God as the glory of God, as good news of great joy that we have been saved, not by what we do, but by what you have done on our behalf. Help us to glory in the wisdom of God in this meal, in your word, today and for the rest of our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.